Word Machine. Hello, and welcome to episode seven of Word Machine. I am your host, Ryan Nance. I'm so glad that you're here. I've been so thankful and sort of thrilled and surprised, honestly, by the amount of response that we've gotten, both in terms of, of people listening and in terms of people um, reaching out and sharing their comments. And I'm just thrilled. Thank you so much. So I want to start this week's episode with a question. And this question you can answer on our Facebook page, Word Machine, or on the blog, which is 5thingsilearntoday.com slash word-machine. Or you can reach out to us on Twitter, which is Word Machine Pod. Any of those places, I would love to hear your answer, and I'm going to share a couple of your answers in next week's episode. So the question is, what is the last poem that you read aloud to someone else? And if you've never done that, I encourage you to go out and do that now, do that today, and then reach out and tell us about it. It is a, a particularly interesting and intimate thing to reach out to read a poem to someone else. It doesn't have to be a love poem. It can be all sorts of poems. Um, so again, if you've never done that before, I encourage you to do it. But if you have, um, please reach out and tell us what it is, and I'd love to share some of your answers in next week's episode, episode 8. So in this week's episode, <clears throat> we're going to bring you two poems from two Northern California poets. They are separated by a couple decades, uh, but they share a couple things in common. Um, first of all, these poems in particular are both set in, in Manhattan, in New York City, and uh, they share a certain spark of, of analogy and thoughtfulness and voice. Um, even though they are far from identical, both of them are very distinctive in their own right. There's something, some overlap in these two poems that I just I just adore. I don't have a big thesis about these two. I just think they're both great poems. And I often think about them uh, when I'm in New York. So the first one is from former poet laureate Robert Hass. He taught at Berkeley for years and years. And that poem is called Vintage. And I believe that's from Human Wishes, his uh, third book of poems. Or maybe it was from Praise, the second one. Either from Praise, the second book, or from Human Wishes, his third. And the other poem is from the fairly young poet. She's younger than I am. Um, she's had uh, three books of poems. Her name is Ada Limon, and this poem is called Sharks in the Rivers. Sharks in the Rivers by Ada Limon. We'll say unbelievable things to each other in the early morning. Our blue coming up from our roots, our water rising in our extraordinary limbs. All night I dreamt of bonfires and burn piles and ghosts of men and spirits behind those birds of flame. I cannot tell anymore when a door opens or closes. I can only hear the frame saying, walk through. It is a short walkway into another bedroom. Consider the handle. Consider the key. I say to a friend how scared I am of sharks. How I thought I saw them in the creek across from my street. I once watched for them holding a bundle of rattlesnake grass in my hand, shaking like a weak-leaf girl. She sends me an article from a recent National Geographic that says... Sharks bite fewer people each year than New Yorkers do, according to the health department records. Then she sends me on my way into the city of sharks.
Through another doorway, I walk to the East River, saying, Sharks are people too. Sharks are people too. Sharks are people too. I write all the things I need on the bottom of my tennis shoes. I say, let's walk together. The sun behind me is like a fire. Tiny flames in the river's ripples. I say something to God, but he's not a living thing. So I say it to the river. I say, I want to walk through this doorway, but without all those ghosts on the edge. I want them to stay here. I want them to go on without me. I want them to burn in the water. Vintage by Robert Hass They had agreed, walking into the delicatessen on 6th Avenue, that their friend's affairs were focused and saddened by massive projection. Movie screens in their childhood were immense, and someone had proposed that need was unlovable. The delicatessen had a chicken salad with chunks of cooked chicken and a creamy basil mayonnaise a shade lighter than the coast range in August. It was gray outside, February. Eating with plastic forks, walking and talking in the sleety afternoons, they passed a house where Juna Barnes was still reportedly making sentences. Basho said, avoid adjectives of scale. You will love the world more and desire it less. And there were other propositions to consider. Childhood, Vista Vision, a pair of wet, mobile lips on the screen at least eight feet long. On the corner, a blind man with one leg was selling pencils. He must have received a disability check, but it didn't feed his hunger for public agony. And he sat on the sidewalk, slack-jawed, with a tin cup, his face and opaque eyes turned upward, in a look of blind, questioning pathos. Half Job, half Mole. Would the good Christ of Manhattan have restored his sight in two-thirds of his leg? Or would he have healed his heart and left him there in a mutilated body? And what would that peace feel like? It makes you want, at this point, a quick cut or a reaction shot. The taxis rivered up Sixth Avenue, a little sunlight touched the steeple of the first Magyar Reformed Church. In fact, the clerk in the liquor store was appalled. No, no, he said. That Cabernet can't be drunk for another five years. I've always held Robert Hass in a special place in my, in my heart because when I first started writing poetry myself, he was one of the first poets whose work I was really strongly attracted to. There's always a, a this amazing balance between um, eloquence and plainness, between uh, being imaginative and being intelligent that I just always really admired. And this poem in particular was, was one of those I was blown away by very early on, and I can imagine that you can imagine which figure and which line I was really blown away by. He just handles such a, a delicate and problematic subject matter with such such deafness and that's about about being wounded what does it mean to be whole and he does it without dehumanizing anyone and just it's the thing that I always hope that poetry aspires to which is to to shine a really clear light an elevating light on on everything even difficult problematic things it reminds me 
of the introduction to his first book called Field Guide, written by Stanley Kunitz, who I always consider to be my poetry grandfather. So many of the teachers that I've had in my life and my education were students of his, so he always feels like just, you know, one step, one step, one stage ahead of me, sort of the grandfather of poets. He wrote the introduction to what was that year's Yale Prize for Younger Poets, which was Robert Hass, and to paraphrase, he was describing about Hass's poetry, about walking out into into a gulf where the, the air and the water temperatures are almost the same. You don't even realize that you're in the water until there's a sudden slight riptide pulling on your pulling on your toes, your your feet, and then you start to realize that there's an undertow pulling you out to sea. It's a really great description for for this kind of this kind of poetry that doesn't use elevated language but uses plain intelligent language and then uses surprising turns and metaphors and all of that stuff that I just described about Hass's poem vintage I I think I feel the same way about about Lamone's poetry and this poem in particular is that it's a little more lyrical than than Hass's there's there's definitely some elevated diction and that sort of stuff, but there's still it's still very plain and very accessible and very common language, talking about dreams and in a way that I think people do. And at some point, a couple points, it's very clear that I'm not just standing on solid ground, that I am actually being towed out to sea by this undertow, this undercurrent. And the two places are really the sort of consideration about the door frame, um, the door being open or closed. That really was the first moment I was like, oh, oh I'm in a poem. I'm in a figure. <laughs> I'm in a metaphor. And the other one was the, the way that she very deftly um, turned the, the, the funny kind of witty thing about New Yorkers biting more than sharks in, into the next phrase, the city of sharks, and, and suddenly everybody in New York is a shark. And that was done so quickly and so economically and so powerfully. Really is a, a beautiful... Um, display of poetic ability, of writing ability. So that was, I think, the thing about these two poems that I often think of when I'm in New York that, that really wanted me to put them together is that same kind of like like lulling me into acceptance of, of a poetic turn. Both of them do that so well. So thank you again for listening. And again, the question for this week is, what is the last poem that you read aloud to someone else? And if you could give us a response to that, either on uh, Facebook, on Word Machine, or on our blog at 5thingsilearntoday.com slash word-machine, or on Twitter at wordmachinepod, I would be thrilled to include those in next week's episode, episode 8. So thanks again. Word Machine. Word Machine. Word Machine.